morning and welcome each of you to our worship service. We hope that you are drawn to God here uh, through this time where we look at His Word. This morning ends our study in 1 Peter. Uh, we are in 1 Peter 5, and our text is 1 Peter 5, verses 6 to 11. Here the Apostle Peter makes his final call to endure suffering under the caring and sovereign hand of God. Lord willing, I hope to begin a series from the Gospel of Mark where we look at stories and parables in the life of Jesus. Um, I think, get me out of the epistles, that's where I've been uh, in Galatians and now in 1 Peter, so it'll be a little different to preach through some stories. This morning, as we consider this passage, I hope we can get another good glimpse of the wonderful care and love of our Father. Sometimes we wonder about our faith. We wonder about the strength of our faith. The Apostle Peter here reminds us that God is the foundation of our faith. And if we're not finally in tune with who God really is, we lose heart easily. We lose our way. Our faith gets placed in other things if we're not continually reminded who God is and who we are. As I said, we lose heart easily, but He is always faithful. We tend to give up in our struggle against sin, but He promises to make us perfect. We fall prey to the devil's fleeting traps, but God offers eternal satisfaction. As I read the text, think about the magnificent picture of God that we have in this text. Again, it's 1 Peter 5, verses 6 to 11, and I'll read now. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, as here again, we open Your Word. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the eternal truth that is here. 
that by this word, you would change our hearts, change our lives more into the likeness of Christ. That That we may again recenter our faith on you and on your goodness and your character. And may that faith produce in us character. We pray this through Christ. This text makes some incredible promises. Think chapter or verse 7 there is probably a very well-known promise that if we cast our cares, that God cares for us. These are promises that are eternal. Promises that can form the foundation of faith. This text shows us who God is. This text also shows us who the enemy, the devil, is. And this text shows us, in a roundabout way, who we are. The promise, or the promises, are clearly spelled out in verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and establish you. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something that I desire. We could simply, in our own way, meditate on that promise for 30 minutes. We would gain much value. Christ himself will restore confirm and establish you. I want to be restored. I want to be settled in Christ. I want to be established eternally. So how does that take place? I will argue here this morning that that takes place in the understanding of who we are, what the obstacles are that we face, and ultimately, who God is. First of all, who are we? Throughout the book of 1 Peter, the apostle is calling for us to put away sin and seek to grow. To withstand the pressures, to withstand the persecutions. Within that, though, there is an implied understanding that we are not perfect. But that it is the grace of God that works in our hearts. But as, excuse me, as the grace of God works in our hearts, we will progress from milk to solid food. And we will progress in our sanctification. Also implied in this passage is that the devil is setting traps for us. And if we faced him on our own, we will be devoured. Now what the first century Christians faced as a threat to their faith is different from our own. They faced physical persecution. They faced cultural marginalization. They faced being put out of society because of their faith. 
That was their roaring lion, if you want to say. I think ours today is much different. Our tendency in our self-centered world is to make our life about ourselves. We want what we want, and we are often willing to compromise to get what we want. The devil finds easy prey on those who want to live in that life, who want their best life now. He loves Christians that think that the Christian walk is all about us and bettering our life, that it is a deceit he is fully willing to communicate to us, that Christianity is, after all, about us and our happiness, that Christianity is really perfectly in line with the American dream of success and of power and of pleasure. And all of us find ourselves prey to this far more than we think. It would be nice if Christianity gave me a good life. And then on top of that promised life, an eternal life filled with even more opulent blessing. But Christianity is not a magic pill that grants us our heart's desires. First Peter, in fact, represents the theme of suffering as the crucible in which blessing is found. It is in the struggle of trial and temptation that God forms us into the image of His Son. So who are we? I think as the songwriter writes, we are prone to wonder. As verse 7 says, we are anxious. As verse 5 indicates, we are apt to be proud. But all of these result from a wrong view of who God really is. And in our passage, we have a wonderful vision of who God is. He is powerful and sovereign in verses 6 and 10. This attribute of God is often decried. Dominion and sovereignty may scream of totalitarianism and absolute role. Sovereignty speaks of control. But if we carefully consider what type of God we would rather have, it really is unthinkable that He would be any other way. In the beginning, God speaks of ownership. Creation speaks of His loving care. But creation also speaks of ownership. He created. The ability to create the world as we know speaks of incredible power and might. Any other God is simply a creation of our imagination. For example, imagine if you met a CEO of a business. 
And you began to ask him about his business and how he functions in it and the way things work and if he's being successful. And during the course of the conversation, you find out that he makes directions and suggestions to his team and they're never followed. And when he chooses to make sales or to make purchases, the accountant diverts those funds to his personal bank account. And the workers that work for this firm are often stealing things for themselves. What would we think about this CEO? First of all, we would say that his business is failing, pretty obviously. And secondly, we would say he's not a CEO. He is not in control of his business. It's no different with God. If he's not in control of this world that he created, he's simply not God. As God, he has authority. As God, he has dominion. As God, he is powerful. But right along with his divine authority is his loving care. If we separate sovereignty and dominion out on its own and put it out on an island, it it can seem quite scary. But when we meld it with His loving care, then we can rest in it. In verses 6 and 7 and 10, describe a gracious God, generous in His love. We can humble ourselves Because we can trust God. We can trust Him to place us where we belong. We can trust Him to exalt us to the level that He deems to be ours. We can cast our cares on Him because He truly cares. And we can resist the devil knowing God will honor our faith. In fact, at the heart of the gospel is a God who provides generously for his children in all ways. Verse 10 says that he first of all calls us to the eternal glory in Christ. God in his mercy does not leave us in our sinfulness. He doesn't leave us to destroy ourselves as we all would. But by His grace, He calls us through Christ. By nature, our hearts are stony towards God. But in the witness of creation and by the work of the Holy Spirit, He calls us into fellowship with Him. We who would be rebellious, He calls to friendship, to fellowship. But He doesn't stop there. Verse 10 continues to say that He restores us. The language has the effect of making us perfect. And it is His work in us that does this restoring. The work of a restorer is to take what is deteriorated, what is broken, what is worn out, 
and to return it to its intended use, to return it to its glory, to return it to what it was created to be. A restorer of cars may take an old, rusted-out hulk and spend hours of time and energy, and he returns it to its original state. God does that work in our hearts by bringing trials that show us who we are, by through His Word guiding us and leading us, He restores us. Verse 10 also says that He will confirm and strengthen and establish you. In Him we find a foundation that is sure and worthy. His confirming and establishing. In His confirming and establishing, He gives us a settled peace in our position in Christ. In His strengthening, we have what it takes to face the complexities of our life. So if we are to understand God to be as He is presented here, what is our response? How are we to act in the face of God's overwhelming grace? The Apostle Peter, I feel, gives us three clear actions. First, we are to trust. Verse 7 says, casting all your anxieties. The idea of casting is to fully give away. To fully place them in the ownership of God. When something is cast away, there's an expectation that it will not return. If one stands at the edge of a cliff and, and throws a rock, he casts it away. He doesn't expect that it will return to him. Whatever our situation, we can trust that God has our best in mind. Even in the uncertainty and pain of life, God is working on our behalf. In chapter 4, Peter speaks to how God uses suffering and hard times to forge us, to restore us. And we can trust that even in our most devastating times, that He does truly care. And in them, He seeks our well-being and our wholeness. And if we're honest, those are not our desires to attain wholeness. It's not our means of becoming holy, but they are His ways. We must recognize that He understands what is truly good for us. I think we often, it often takes some level of suffering us to fully figure that out. Um, but I think if we rest in God, if we see Him as generous, if we see Him as loving, if we see Him as having our good in mind, even when things are going well, then we can trust when things aren't. 
When things are going well and we just take it as our own, take it as our own doing, then I think it would make the hard times much harder. Secondly, we are to be disciplined and watchful. We are to engage our full abilities in working against our fallen nature. Being serious and vigilant, excuse me, being serious and vigilant against the roaming of the devil will protect us from letting our guard down and allowing him some easy dinners. The text says that he roams about like a lion seeking something to devour. Most animals of prey do not go after the strongest or the most aware prey. They often chase the weak or the outlying and snatch them unawares. This passage tells us to know what our temptations are, to know where we are weak, to know where we can be had, and then to guard them carefully. Jesus uses the graphic image of amputation to describe the seriousness with which we should attack our sinful nature. And thirdly, we are to be humble before God. A right recognition of His authority demands our posture of humility and submission. Verse 5 states that God resists the proud. Again, as, as we get a clear glimpse of who God is, we have no option but to be humble. You cannot assign to God His godness and yet remain proud of yourself. You cannot ascribe faith in God and yet go headlong seeking your own glory. If God is God and you are not God, then there are some simple assumptions that we must accept. That as all-knowing, He knows what's best for our situation. As eternal, we're not going to outlast Him. As omniscient, or as all-knowing, we can't hide anything from Him. As a sovereign creator of all, we cannot take credit that is due Him. In the face of His glory, we have but one posture, and that is worshipful humility. In the face of difficult circumstances, we defer to His wisdom. In the times of blessing, we rest in His grace. In conclusion, as Christians, we are not simply ascribing to a lifestyle. We are not accepting a mode of living. We are not accepting a tradition. As Christians, when we exercise faith in God, we are declaring 
that God is God. Faith is not a self-serving demand for eternal happiness, but a humble recognition that God is truly God. Standing firm in our faith is standing firm in God. It is standing firm on His promise of grace. It is trusting in Christ alone for our eternal well-being. This is not blind faith. This is faith rooted in a God who is truly God. Some questions that we should ask ourselves as we consider our lives. Do we truly want to know God? Often we like to know a certain level, but are we willing to learn to know Him fully and allow Him to expose us? Are we willing to let Him be fully God? Or we, do we want to keep that little 10% back here in, in our back pocket as we all tend to want to do? Or are we willing to plant our faith fully in the goodness and grace of our powerful and loving Father? Shall we pray? Father, it is only in Your grace that we can call You Father. It is only because You have reached into our lives. You have called us rescued us from ourselves and the destruction that we would bring to ourselves. Father, thank You for revealing Yourself to us. And may we continue to seek to know more of You, to know more of Your Word. And may that knowledge shape our faith. May it strengthen our faith. And we trust not in our abilities, but trust in your faithfulness. Father, we ask that you would continue to forge us into the image of your Son. That you would use the circumstances of our life to bring about your goodness in our hearts. We pray this all through Christ.